I kind of caught myself talking really fast earlier, so I want to try not to do that. I don't know what my deal is, but <laughs> I'm just ready to roll. But uh, it's, it's, it's kind of an uh, interesting topic that we're going to be talking about today. As, as we kind of continue to go through Job, we're going to be looking at Bildad's speech. Um, but as we do that, I just want to review for a few moments. And obviously our question today is, can God be unjust? That's, that's really Bildad's question to Job. That's not, you know, necessarily our topic today, but it's, it's how Job approaches, I'm sorry, Bildad approaches Job. But in review, I just want us to understand where we've come to this point. And when I say review, it's going to be just extreme high point review so that we can kind of see where we're at. Job, in the beginning of the book, is described as a rich man while also being described as a very righteous man. The scriptures say that he was blameless. The Lord challenged Satan to consider his servant Job on two separate occasions. And as uh, this took place, God himself described Job, and again, himself described Job as a blameless and upright man. Well, Satan saw Job's loyalty and God's favor as self-serving, accusing both Job and God of just being in it for themselves, right? You protect him so that he'll serve you. He's only serving you because you're protecting him. Do you ever wonder sometimes, does Satan really believe what he says? I mean, just think about it. You know what I mean? But somehow, he's so corrupted that, but, he, but in, the, in the other sense, he knows what he's doing, right? Because God gave Satan permission to attack, attack Job, and on two occasions, he attacked him. On, on those two occasions, when he was challenged by God to consider him. First, Satan took nearly everything away from him that he had. He was so successful at it that he was able to orchestrate it to where the reports came back to Job just bam, bam, right? Over and over again. I've lost this, I've lost that, and now I've lost all of my children. I've lost everything. And again, that wasn't enough because Satan then said skin for skin, right? You, you let me touch his body and he'll curse you to your face, which is what he said would happen the first time and didn't. And so Satan again went after Job, destroyed his health in the worst way possible. He, he was like a living dead man. He was completely, totally um, tortured with what was happening on the outside of his body, but was also affecting the inside of his body. He couldn't get away from it. Now, I'm going to give you a very brief illustration that is kind of silly, but does at least relate Maggie and I, we like sushi. On occasion, you get a little too much wasabi on your sushi, and when you eat it, like your nose lights up, and you want to just take your nose and pull it off your face, but you can't, you can't separate your body from itself. Well, imagine just having this horrible skin disease, and you can't get away from it, and it's from the very bottom of your feet to the top of your head. That's what was happening with Job. So again, Satan was very effective at what he did, but Job was still faithful. So then Job's friends come together after hearing what's going on with him, and they want to come and comfort him. Job then expresses in chapter 3 his suffering and his grief. He basically says, I just don't want to continue anymore. 
Like, I'm, I'm beat. I'm, I'm done. Eliphaz then spoke to Job, and then we saw that Job responded to him. So today, Bildad, the second of Job's friends, is going to speak. He doesn't quite speak as long as Eliphaz or Job, but he is much more direct, and we'll kind of illustrate that as we go. So the first thing we want to do is to uh, take a look at Job chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to read for you sections this morning, and then we're going to uh, work through those sections together. So Job chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like a strong wind? Does God pervert judgment, or does the Almighty pervert justice? Okay, that's the crux of our question, right, today. If your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you, would, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful habitation. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. For inquire, please, of the former age and consider the things discovered by their fathers. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing. I think I went too far. Anyway, so as we're looking at this, Bildad is going to share his opinion of who Job is. And what we're going to do today is kind of go back and forth just a little bit to who Job is and then another subject which we'll look at in just a minute. But So we'll be back here again. Uh, his, his argument to Job, what he says to Job, is just constructed a little bit differently than Eliphaz. So he begins first by insulting Job. That's, that's a good way to start a conversation, isn't it? Now, again, we've got to set this up. Here's Eliphaz that says, can I dare say something to you? I mean, are, are you okay with this? Because I know you're, you're, you're pretty messed up, buddy. But he says, but I, I can't stop from saying something. And then he speaks. Here's Eliphaz that just says, how long do we have to listen to you, Right? This was a reaction to Job's words to Eliphaz. We know that. But look at what Job said. He says, Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of a desperate one, which are as wind? So Job was talking about himself here back in Job chapter 6, and he was actually speaking out of humility, right? He's saying, he's saying you know, are, are you going to come after me? Uh, you know, I, I'm a nobody. But Bildad twists Job's words by asking if they had to keep listening to this windbag. That's what he's saying. <laughs> In Bildad's opinion, Job's words were empty. They carried no truth. So that's the positive start that uh, we have with Bildad. Bildad immediately moves into stating his case for the religion of the time. Now remember, that's what we've been talking about his friends held to this, this religious idea that we're going to see Bildad, in a sense, defend. He's, he's going to you know, use apologetics for this. And so what we see then is him transitioning over to his view of God's justice. He begins by asking two questions. And we're going to look at uh, verse 3 on this. Does God pervert judgment or does the Almighty pervert justice? Um, the, the word subvert that you see in the New King James is actually 
the word pervert. It's, it's the same Hebrew word. For whatever reason, they just used that word. But pervert means to corrupt or to deviate. In our day, it's often applied to sexual practices, right? Someone is perverted. But in reality, it's any type of corruption of anything. We can use that word in that sense, okay? In, his, in this context, Bildad states that God is not corrupt in either how he judges or decides things or his righteousness in making those judgments. Now, let's back up for a second. Let's just pause. Would we agree with Bildad's statement? Does, does, does God pervert justice? Oh, okay, okay. The silence was a little concerning to me, okay? Yeah. So, so basically we have here something that we totally agree with. Now, he, he's angry with Job. He reacts at him. But then he says something that's very truthful. The problem that we're going to have through this, as we had with Eliphaz, is that there's almost always some truth to things that people say. The question is, is all of what they say truthful? We, of course, agree with this. We believe that God judges with a pure, righteous, and fair judgment. But what we will see is that we differ with how Bildad claims that God judges. Okay, big difference in the character of who he is than what we might ascribe to his actions, all right? So then we kind of go back here again to Bildad's opinion of Job, all right? So you're following, this goes back to point one, um, and, and we're looking at Bildad's opinion of Job again. So he starts, uh, he returns to speaking personally to Job in verses four through seven. I'm going to read those for you again. It says, if you have... If your sons have sinned against him, he's cast them away for their transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you would were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper you, your rightful dwelling place. We'll, we'll, we'll let it go at that. But I wanted to get that in your mind again. So he begins this section by adding that Job's children died because God judged them. And by the way, God's judgments are right. You see, where, you see where Bildad's going? Now, let's remember that, again, Eliphaz took a more tactful, careful approach with his words. We're going back to Eliphaz's words in uh, Job 5, verses 2 through 4. He says this, For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. Do you see how this is kind of third person? This, this wrath over here kills a foolish person. You see what I mean? It's, it's not as direct as Bildad is. And then he goes on. I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate and there is no deliverer. Oh, his sons are far from safety. Remember, that was a veiled, a veiled criticism of Job in saying, your unrighteousness has killed your kids. Now we have, and this is just, you know, for reminder's sake, I'm putting this back up. We have uh, uh, Bildad saying something painfully blunt. He comes right out and says, Job, your children are wicked and God destroyed them for their sinfulness. They were wicked, that is. 
And we know that Job's friends, we know what Job's friends do not know. We know what Job doesn't even know, that God was and still is testing Job as we are seeing it in the story. God's still testing him. This hasn't stopped. But there was no indication in Job's account that his children lived wickedly, especially to the point that one of them will be destroyed, all of them will be destroyed, that is, at the same time. Right? That, that would have been just rampant wickedness in his family. That's really what Bildad is saying. Right? Your family was just so sinful that God just took them all out at one time. But Bildad doesn't stop there. He now targets his words directly at Job. And again, if you look at the highlighted section there, it's what we've already read, but it's related to Job himself. I conveyed what Bildad is saying, but that doesn't mean that I necessarily agree with what he's saying, okay? I want you to understand that. I'm telling you what Job is saying. I'm not necessarily ascribing to it or asking you to. But Bildad's assumption is that Job has sinned. Although the Lord has judged him severely, he has spared his life. So he's not as bad as his kids were, all right? Sorry, kids. I'm just telling you what Bildad's saying. I'm which then brings us to Bildad's main theme. He advises Job to repent, to turn away from his sinful ways, to turn to God, right? He encourages him to seek after God with a strong and genuine desire to come clean. If Job repented, even though the word isn't there, we see that the concept is there, God would be motivated to act on his behalf. So what does Bildad foresee as the possible result. Look at there. Though your beginning was small, yet your latter end would increase abundantly. What's the rule? Prosperity. That's what's going to show whether or not God is pleased with you. That was their way of measuring someone's spiritual life, someone standing before God. So he continues in verse 7 by saying, even though you have started out small, God will increase you, right? That's what I just read. Is this a true statement? Well, you're saying, well, what, what are you asking? What, what, true, which part? Look at the first part. Did Job start out small? Now think about it. Job was the greatest in the East. So here's what Bildad saying. Look, we, we know you're a nobody. See, he's, he's even cutting him to where he was. This is not truthful, folks. Before God, yes, Job was small. Compared to others, absolutely not. See, he's saying you start off with, with very little, but if, if you do right now, God will increase you. You will be abundant. Job was abundant. To the point where it is said, again, that he was the greatest of all in the East. Anybody who was basically past what we would call Israel to the East. So as oftentimes is the case, when people are trying to give us advice and they have an agenda, things kind of trickle in that shouldn't belong there, right? 
So he's knocking him. So he's, Bildad here is uh, describing, well here, let's, let's get back to, to um, his view of justice, okay? That's where I want to be. Now, I want to read the next part. We've gone back and forth with the previous text. He's talking about Job personally. Then he refers to God's justice. He talks about Job a little bit more. Talks and, and, and that, so it's going back and forth. But now we're going to be looking at the second part of Bildad's view of God's justice, but it kind of goes on to the next part of the text. So we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 19. 8 through 19 and breaking this down. He's already said his second, kind of his second whack at, at, at Job, right? For inquire, please, of the former age and consider the things uh, discovered by their fathers. For we are but yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are, sh- are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? Can the papyrus grow up without a marsh? Can the reeds flourish without water? While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. Obviously meaning it doesn't have any water. Verse 13. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrite shall perish, whose confidence shall be cut off, and whose trust is in a spider's web. He leans on his house, but it it does not stand. He holds it fast, but it does not endure. He grows green in the sun and his branches spread out in the garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. For he is, if he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him saying, I have not seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way and out of the earth others, others I will grow. All right, so keep that in mind. We're going to give you some reminders as we go. But as Bildad shares what he believes about God and his justice, he echoes something from what Eliphaz said. Again, we're going to jump back to Eliphaz for just a moment here in chapter 5, verse 27. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. Isn't that what he's saying here right now? He's saying, hey, we have tradition. We have something that's been passed down to us. Bildad is describing religious thought that has been passed down. And if you look here, it's actually multi-generational. So again, what would we call that? That's tradition, right? Eliphaz was mystical, going back to the first friend. Remember his spooky vision, right? But Bildad was traditional. He's asking Job, won't you learn from what others have already passed down? He continues by describing someone who doesn't listen to the beliefs that have been passed down from others. He personifies who are deemed godless with three common things. Now, they might not be as common to us, although I think they are to a degree, but, but you got to remember, he's, he's, he's taking just everyday things and he's saying, this is kind of what you're like, Job. Remember, he's already laid it out. You're, you're a pretty wicked person. You, you're barely alive, all right? You, you, you're just barely there. You need to repent. You need to turn to God. You need to, you need to, to, to get over your old ways. Again, let's stop for a minute. Job argued with his first friend, and he says, look, point it out. 
tell me how I'm wrong. No one's doing that. They're just saying, you have to be wrong. Look at your circumstances. Right? I mean, you got to be really bad because really bad things have happened to you. So he talks about three things. The first one is this marsh reed. Can a papyrus grow up without a marsh? Okay? Uh, we have a lot of marshes around us. If the marsh dries up and there's no water, what happens to the reeds? You can say it. Yeah, they dry up too, right? And that's his whole point. So if a marsh grows dry, then the reeds will go dry. Now, now hold on to that for a minute. He then talks about the spider web. Try to lean on a spider web, and what happens? I mean, this is what he's saying is someone's confidence. Apart from, if they don't hold to the traditions that have been passed down. You there? If you don't believe that, it's like leaning on a spider web. You're basically putting your hope in. You're hanging on nothing. You're going to fall. And again, that's what he's saying about tradition. And then he talks about what I'm going to describe as an uprooted tree. Um, the tree spreads its branches, the scriptures tell us. It sinks its root into the ground and even among the rocks. So I even tried to get this little picture there of a tree around rocks. Okay? But once it's pulled out, once it's removed, basically the way Bildad describes it is like, that place doesn't even remember the tree was there. It's like it never existed. All of these, according to Bildad, represent a willful forgetter of God who trusts in himself and thinks that he's secure. Bildad's message for Job is this. If you go against tradition, established beliefs, then you are detached from truth, you have misplaced your trust, and you will eventually come to nothing. Again, I, I just, I hope I have friends like this when I'm in trouble, right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> wow. <laughs> a little sarcasm on my part too, right? Anyway. Until, now, now, we need to understand this though too. Until something was written down, what they knew about the Lord was passed down. These oral traditions, without being written with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, were subject to error creeping in. That doesn't mean that it necessarily did, but they were subject to it. Because let's face it, the truth did survive. We have um, Moses, who many centuries after the creation, wrote about it. Again, that was in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But you have to believe that there were people alive who believed what God said about the creation. We know that was the case. We know that Job knew who God was, knew who he was truthfully, and I believe probably, as far as he was able to, in a complete way, meaning there was an error mixed in. Tradition can never replace truth. Let me say that one more time. Tradition can never 
replace truth. And frankly, that is what Bildad is saying. Not that it can, but that tradition is truth. And that's not necessarily the case. So what was Bildad's conclusion? We can see this in verses 19 through 22. It says, Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Now, verse 19, which we read in the previous part, is a little difficult to interpret, but it's important enough that we need to really spend some time on it. And, and here's what I'll say. When we first started this series, one of the things that I mentioned was we're not going to explore every type of picture language that's here because it would take us forever to do that. There's times when we just kind of have to leave it. It's, it's something that's illustrating the same point that's being made, and we don't have to cover it. This here is a little bit more specific and relevant to what we're talking about compared to maybe some of those other texts. So here we go. And by the way, I'm not saying that there's no merit to those other texts. I'm just saying we've chosen not to spend time. We're looking at the, the little bit bigger picture, right? This verse concludes Bildad's explanation of the tree uh, and leads into the conclusion of his entire argument. So it's kind of right there between closing out those, those illustrations that he gave and now concluding what he's, trying to, what he's been trying to tell Job. There is a strong consensus that this verse is not positive, even though it says this is the joy of his way. There are three basic ideas behind this um, as far as interpreting the first part of Job 8.19. This is the joy of his way. The first one is, this phrase is used in a sarcastic way. And this is the joy of his way. Right? Now, let's kind of put that in context, right? As we look at that verse again, we're talking about verse 19. I'm sorry, verse 18. If he's destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have... I have not seen you. Now remember, the branches spread. The roots spread. We would call that what? A healthy tree, right? Something that's maybe even thriving. The roots are even digging in around stone. Kind of hard to move. But when it is removed, the ground around it says, hmm, what tree? Right? And what it's basically saying is, and that's, you know, that's his life. Yay. Okay, that's, that's kind of the sarcastic way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is this. This is as good as it gets for one who denies God. He can spread his, he can spread his wings, so to speak. He can, he can prosper to a degree, but it's not going to last. All right? And then a third angle on this is that this... That, and, and I'm kind of quoting, this would be how it would be, it would sound. This is the course or the way of his life. Okay. And what they say is the way the Hebrew words are used, it can mean this. And, and the word joy probably shouldn't have been inserted here. I'm going with door number two. All right. I've looked at it from a, several different angles as best as I can. I, I'm not like adept at, at Hebrew, but I've, I've really tried to take a look at this, you know, um, as far as just 
uh, I'm trying to say, objectively. And so if we want to read that again, and there's a reason for this, like I say, verse 19, behold, this is as good as it gets for this man. And out of the earth, others will grow. So that leads us to then, okay, what's the second part? The second part has to do with, um, you know, out of the earth, this, uh, somebody else will grow. That's basically saying someone's going to take his place. So you see, even that is not a positive term. It, it, he's not saying, and someone else will come after him, right? You know, in, in, in a positive way. But it's like, no, someone else is going to take his place. He's going to be forgotten, and someone else is going to take his place. That's as good as it gets. Right? So again, according to Bildad, this is not a positive thing. So then as we kind of work our, ourselves down through the text, the second line of verse 19, as I mentioned, a little easier to look at. And this is basically saying that eventually a, a wicked man is just simply going to be off the scene. Someone's going to come in. And, and some would even contend that this means another wicked man replaces him. Okay? In other words, the cycle continues. Bildad then gives a kind of review and even ends with his best effort to encourage Job. Again, we find that in, the, in principle, we agree with some of what Bildad has to say about the Lord. This is not all untruthfulness. God will not, but here's what he says, God will not cast away the blameless. In other words, the Lord will always be there for those who truly believe in him and those who truly live for him. And again, we, we would agree with that. And God will not uphold or support the wicked. We know this is true because God's character cannot allow himself to promote sin. He can't get behind somebody who's wicked and say, I'm going to take care of you, right? By his very nature, he cannot favor or even condone in any way someone who is living apart from him. The wicked may benefit from general blessings of God in life, but in the end, they will be separated from God eternally. They will not enjoy God's eternal blessings. And we know this from a couple of verses, uh, passages. Matthew 5, 43 through 45 says this, You have heard that it is said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. Now, we're going to pause there for a minute. I want to give you the context of this. But basically what Jesus is saying is, look, the way you treat other people, particularly your enemies, is going to highlight who you are. All right? But then he goes on to say, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So here's what he's saying. You're following the character of God when you do that. Because God equally gives rain and sunshine to those who hate him. That doesn't say that he upholds them. It says that God gives general blessings to all. All right? So what we know is this. Unsaved people, people who are devout, militant atheists, who don't want anybody to believe in God, which I find odd because... Who cares if you don't believe in him and somebody does? But anyway, they get all tight about it and they think that you need to be convinced, right? So even those folks who just 
you know, we talk about Job, curse God and die is what his, his wife said. Well, they would say, curse God and look, I'm still living. Well, that's that oxygen. That's that rain. That's that sunshine. That's God holding all their molecules together. He could vaporize them. That's not how God works. So everybody on earth enjoys general blessings from God. But Proverbs 16.25 says this, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If, in fact, our way is separate from God's way, there is only one direction. There's only one conclusion to that, and that is spiritual death, separation from him. Only one. Not, you almost made it. Not traditionally saying you're going to make it by burning your sins off in the next life. No. In this life, if we reject God, there is no hope. So both these statements are a summary of instruction to Job to come to God and to get right with him. There's only one problem. He doesn't need to do that. Okay. So Bildad ends by giving Job hope. Again, like Eliphaz, that is not, that is not too late for him to have a full life filled with joy if he returns to the Lord, right? That's what he told him. So where does this bring us in this morning? Now, you notice I chopped one of my points. And the reason why is because... That verse 19 gave me some problems that I wasn't uh, uh, foreseeing. But uh, we're just to that, to that point where what I would need to cover in this point, which I can cover in another message, uh, I just thought it was helpful to do it now. It would take too long. We would be here long, all right? We're not going to do that to you this morning. But uh, we're going to say that for another time, but I wanted to explain that to you. So we go to our conclusion now and say, okay, where are we at? Job's second friend, Bildad, doesn't bring a lot of comfort to him. and He brings less comfort to him than Eliphaz did, right? He's well-versed in and fully committed to the religion of the day. Commentator Christopher Ashe, which we have seen a couple of quotes of, of his, calls this, he actually calls it the system. It's the religious system of the day. Eliphaz, the first friend, I'm trying to help you, you know, remember who's who, right? Eliphaz was more of the mystic, but he explained the accepted religious system of the day quite well. Again, more on the mystical side, but the basic tenets, the foundation, he explained. Bildad is a staunch believer in the tradition of the system. In his mind, one cannot go against what has been passed down. If you do that, you're lost. We're going to see that there's another friend who has just a slightly different angle on this system of belief. And that system of belief is what? If you do good things, good things will happen to you. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you.
And we also can conclude here that Bildad has done a very poor job of encouraging his friend Job. Now, now, folks, we can't forget Job is sitting in a pile of ashes. And I'm not trying to be gross here, but his sin is literally rotting off of his body. He's in horrible pain. He's racked with this fever. He says, to the bone, he's miserable. And he hasn't forgotten for one moment what he's lost. And here's his friends. You know, LFS, maybe you've done some things wrong. I mean, there's somebody that I know that has done these things. And look, this is what I've observed has happened to them. <laughs> right? Then there's Bildad. Job, you're bad. You're really bad. Not as bad as your kids. They're dead. But you're bad. And you need to change. You need the Lord. It's obvious. Look at your life. That's where we're at. So let's talk about that just for a minute. Uh, I have E's and B's next to these items. E means... Oh, man, I knew it. I knew you'd get it. And then B is build it, Okay. So both of them had no consideration for Job, if you think about it, right? Again, Eliphaz starts off kind of, you know, sweet and, and, and subtle and everything, but he still just nails them between the eyes. Eliphaz was harsh, and, and even beyond, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Bildad was, was harsh, and even beyond Eliphaz, he was just flat out rude and mean, Right? I mean, he, he was just, he was brutal. And by the way, a religious system, apart from the grace of God, is actually brutality. What do we know about the word of God? Can you ever be good enough? It's a brutal system that says, you're going to make it. And then misapplied advice. Okay? It, it just didn't apply to Job. They weren't listening to him. He pleaded with them. Look at my life. Tell me where I've gone wrong. Tell me how I've departed. They really never exactly told him what he did wrong. They just told him how he was wrong. And then we see that uh, uh, Bildad added a couple more things. He directly charged Job with sin. Eliphaz was a little, you know, a little more, well, you know, you might want to think about this. <laughs> Bildad was, this is who you are. And then he belittled Job's accomplishments and wisdom. Right? Who do you think you are? But you, have, you have this mindset. You don't have the right mindset. Right? You're not thinking right. You need, you need to, to listen to what has been passed down. That's the, that's the only hope that you have. You're trusting in stuff. I don't know what you're trusting in, but it's not, it's not our traditions. And oh, by the way, you started nice and small. It was, it was cute. It was quaint. But man, there's so much bigger things ahead for you if you would trust the system. 
which kind of brings us to Job's friend's poor theology. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time in this. Some of it is review. Good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, okay? All right. Uh, onward, it says, Eliphaz said, based upon observation, uh, this is all true and this is backed up by a dream that I had. Okay? So that's that mystical part. Bildad then says, based upon tried and true teachings passed down by our forefathers. Right? That's how I know this is true. Because this has been reinforced for generations. Here's what's interesting. I, we don't know exactly where Job lands in the timeline of Scripture. I tend to believe it's earlier, much earlier than later, that it was written later. So if you think, and part of it's based upon just even how things are termed and things, but think about this. How many generations was he away from Adam? So how many generations were we really talking about? I mean, this came in relatively early, folks. We know from Scripture, even when you're talking about the, the, the Tower of Babel, right? What did God say? He said, what I want you to do is I want you to all stay together and make a cult. No. No. He said, spread out, be fruitful and multiply, and I'm going to kind of add, don't forget about me, right? Instead, they said, let's make a big tower and let's worship ourselves, <laughs> right? Let's stay together. That's our best hope. And then God confused their languages. They had to spread out. So it doesn't take long for things to corrupt. We can go to the garden to see that. One last thing. You cannot go against the system. What is according to them God's system. And that's what they're saying. This is how God thinks. This is how God works. You can't go against that. So what they believed directly affected how they approached Job. What they believed directly affected how they approached life and how they thought about life, but it also affected how they approached Job. So what's the big lesson for us? First of all, we better make sure that who we're believing in, and what we believe about him is true and right. Folks, this is the special revelation of God. The word of God was given based upon God working through, speaking through, moving men that wrote his word down. Not through someone saying, you know what I think? Right? Or how might this benefit me? Or how can we control everybody in the name of God? I mean, there's all kinds of angles we can go. When our theology is right, not only, obviously, are we going to have the right relationship with the Lord if we read, uh, let me put it this way. It's got to go beyond knowing. It has to go with relationship. We have to trust that God. We have to trust the one who gave us his son. 
We have to trust in Christ who gave himself for us. But along with all that, when we have done that, when we're coming from a right understanding of the word of God, that is when we're going to be most effective for the people around us. Because if we're giving doctrine of men, traditions that we have in our minds, um, the ideas of other people, again, not to say that they're wrong, that don't comply with the word of God, <laughs> then we're not being helpful. We're not being helpful. So let's change this to the positive so that we can all have a happy Thanksgiving. When we are trusting in the right God, the right way, and we are living for him with the right understanding of who he is and how he works, we can actually have a wonderful ministry in the life of other people. Do you want to be an LFS? You know, I... I had this dream. Do you want to be a Bildad? Just comply. Just comply with what this group says. Now, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but under Bildad's case, it was wrong. I think we want to be effective, and I think we want to minister as best we can. And notice I didn't say you had to be a theologian. But the better we know Christ, the better we are following him, the more we are walking in his steps. Let's go back to that point that he said about the rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? If we have no compassion on the unjust, is that following in the ways of Christ? No. So, so there we go. It's just one example. And so when we are aligning ourselves and we are surrendering ourselves and we are following Christ as we should, then we're going to be most effective to those around us. All right? That, 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 that's a challenge, but that's also a promise. Okay? Unlike what Bildad said about Job's outward... Uh, I can't think of the right word. Uh, what he owned, his outward possessions. Inwardly, in Christ, we all start small. Okay? We start with that point where we have our faith and we say, I'm no longer going to live according to my own standards. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to trust in what he's done for me. I'm going to follow him. He is now my master, not sin. And when we do that, we start off, yeah, we might have some knowledge about the Bible. We really start off at ground zero. But here's the great thing. It's just us and the Lord and the truth. And that's a great start. But we grow in our knowledge of him, right? That, that's really what we read even in Colossians earlier, is that the whole idea is to grow and to not get caught up with the, the noise of the world, but to focus on him, focus on his word, to trust it and to live by it. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we are obviously moving into this season that we call Thanksgiving, it is a, it's a wonderful day. It's a wonderful time of year. It's a great time to get together with family, possibly friends. As we think about moving toward that, we did read in Colossians that there was an element of thanksgiving related to knowing you. A strong element of being one of your followers, of, of knowing that our sins are forgiven, that we are now one of your children, and we can now pursue a life that matters for eternity. It's not like what Bildad said truthfully, that we can be removed and pff, it's like we were never there. That's not the best of what happens to us. But it's an, an eternal relationship with you through what Christ has done for us. We are so thankful for that. We're grateful that it has affected every area of our life. But Lord, I just pray that there's someone here who can't echo that thanks truthfully. In their heart, they know that they are really kind of hanging on to their old life. They, they, frankly, might even want to live that way. Lord, it might be that you're speaking to them now and, and they realize you, you've, you've given them an understanding that to have the whole world even and to have it be without you is nothing. It leads to death. I pray, Lord, that they would respond to you in faith, turn from their old ways, and trust you with their very soul. God, as we think of what you allowed to happen with Job, we've talked about that we go through trials. We go through testing. We go through times when you are actually putting us to the test to prove our faith. Lord, I pray that even during those times, as you have told us, that we should be thankful. But Lord, I pray that as we have been learning from Job, that we'll be mindful. that will understand that you do have a greater purpose in all of this, which is to allow us to shine forth the testimony of Christ greater and stronger than we had ever done to that point. That we would be more like Jesus. And so in our trials, Lord, we just ask that you would teach us. We pray, Father, that you would continue to provide us with the strength that we need to persevere. And Lord, I don't know if all of us can echo this, but as I'm praying and as I'm leading these folks in prayer, I pray, Lord, that we would trust you, that we would place our confidence in what you are doing. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.